All right, as you all get settled, I want to just look through the bulletin. A couple of things coming up immediately following our church service as soon as we get things switched around. Lord willing, no rain in the forecast forever. And then the morning of, of course, we have rain in the forecast. We're going to baptize two, Allison and Josiah, after church today. So I would encourage you to witness that, a public confession of their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, what a joy it is to see these two come forward to not only receiving Jesus as their Savior, but to take this public stance before their family and before their church family here too as well. Their acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. And uh, I pray that God blesses that. And again, just 50-50 chance of rain right now. So Lord, give us a, a window, an opportunity here. And we'll be testing out our portable baptistry for the first time. So that will be its own adventure, I'm sure, in itself. Already working out some things, learning um, how we could do better. Not as far as the baptism is concerned, but just set up and tear down and all that. We'll learn today. This week coming Wednesday, once again, I'm going to try to grab. It didn't, I was not successful on Wednesday evening grabbing three chapters of Genesis, but uh, chapter 36 is all about Esau and his genealogy. And I'm thinking that we can kind of look over that, but it's just one of those things. The Bible gives us the genealogy of Esau. It will play into parts of the Old Testament later. But the Bible does not follow the line of Esau. It follows the line of Israel, his brother, Jacob. And we will further look at that. We'll also if we make it to chapter 37, we're introduced to Joseph and some of the plight that he goes through in his dreams. So 35, Jacob returning to Bethel. 37, Joseph having dreams and telling those dreams uh, to his father and brothers and getting in trouble because of it. And then chapter 36, all about the genealogy of Esau, which I feel that that won't take us long to get through. So hopefully we can work our way through these chapters. And I'm excited on Wednesday evening to look at Joseph's account given to us in Scripture. There's so much to learn from him, his faithfulness and trust in God, even when circumstances were very difficult, as we will learn as we continue through our study in the book of Genesis. Also, we have youth ministry, children's ministry on Wednesday evening, and we're getting more kids showing up uh, from other churches and their families, a few more coming. And I know that Pastor Kevin and Melissa would love to have some people come alongside and help on Wednesday evening. And so that's why I left the Sunday school announcement in, more so because of our Wednesday evening children's ministry. When I became your pastor, 1999, yes, it was in the last, uh, not only beyond a decade, right? We're going back into a different century. But when I became your pastor Wednesday evenings, there was no children's ministry in the midweek. And basically what we had, and Dave Duke could testify of this, you had the whole worship team show up for Wednesday evening service because they would practice until like 
some ungodly time at 12 to 2 in the morning. I did not participate in that, and we joke about that still to this day. But um, you had the worship time, you had adults, and there was a point to where our Wednesday evening adult service got large enough that I said, okay, let's break down now and start teaching our children. And for quite a while, we've had just a few helping the Wednesday evening services, and uh, our kids are so important. We have two that we're going to be baptizing today. Statistically, they say those who come to faith do so prior to the age of 14 years old. So the most important ministry happening in this building could be right downstairs and not up here because is anybody here? Well, we have one that's under maybe a few um, under the age of 14 or around that age, but the rest of us are adults and we've made our choice and they are forming their choices. Of course, we want to mold and shape them to love Jesus, but they have to make that choice decision for themselves. So I encourage you, our midweek service is so important. Also, the men and women's study breakfasts. We did, um, normally we do the month of women on the third Saturday, but this coming weekend is the women's retreat. We pushed everything back by one week. So this coming weekend, our men's study breakfast at 8 to 10. Pretty strict on the time, but sometimes we go over a little bit. Also, the ladies, the following week, we have... The book in the book room, you can just go pick up a copy of A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. I love going through this little book. I think it has 12 chapters. It's a small book. But Keller, William Keller, the author of the book, was a shepherd in uh, South Africa. He owned his own ranch, his sheep, and did so for a few years, I think at least three years, maybe more than that. But so it's a shepherd's look. And he takes us through Psalm 23, and he explains a lot of the things that the psalmist is talking about in connection with the shepherd's care for a sheep and the waywardness of a sheep or a lamb or sheep, as we'll look at that. So grab your book uh, this coming Saturday for the men, the men's study breakfast beginning at 8 a.m. in the morning. All right, well, I think that will do it. For our announcements, and if there's others, just look into your bulletin. I would encourage you to keep praying for our radio ministry. Uh, my daughter, Melissa, shared with me that uh, she met a homeschool mom this week that listens to our radio ministry, has for quite a while, loves it better than some of the other Christian radio stations out there, largely because we have a large song mix where some of the mainstream uh, radio station ministries keep a very tight song list, and they're constantly, and I, I was even in a conference once where they were explaining the reason why, that if mom is taking a child to soccer practice and she's in and out of the car, you want to make sure she hears this new song. So they play it over and over again. For some of us who listen a lot, it's like I've already heard that the last hour Half hour ago, please, is there something else out there? So we have a bigger song mix. Anyways, we discovered a new radio listener. Keep our radio station in your prayers. We're still working on getting closer to having apps uh, that we can put on our devices, our phones, 
and listen to WLGS. You can listen to it and stream it online right now. Keep that in your prayer. Keep our church in your prayer as well. And before we begin the teaching of God's word, I just want to pray for today's offering. People give in so many different ways today. Here at the church, we have an agape box in the back, but we also have people giving through online, through our church webpage, one of the old-fashioned ways of coming through the mail and It's really a blessing that the Lord has been providing for us. We've been able to accomplish a bit this year, and we just, again, ask the Lord to help us as we continue to serve him in this ministry. So, Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you for Josiah and Allison, who are just taking a further step in their commitment of you to be baptized today in front of their family, in front of their church family as well. I, Lord, pray that your spirit would be with them in a great and mighty way. And we ask also, Lord, that you would bless our church. We have accomplished a bit over the course of the summer with remodeling a couple of bathrooms and doing work around the grounds, a new camera system, and uh, streaming our radio station now Uh, Things that, Lord, we did not have at the beginning of the year. So we thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to accomplish these things. We pray, Father, that you would continue to help us to grow in our ministry and how we can minister to others in our lives and in this church and through this church. Lord, bless the teaching of your word today. Lord, we're in a very challenging chapter in the seven bold judgments here in Revelation chapter 16. But Lord, many of the things that we see being prophesied, we also understand just by observing the events going on in our world today, how some of these things could easily take shape. So Lord, give us further understanding. In the last days, Lord, that we are getting close to, I believe that you give us further revelation. So we pray for that this day. We asked in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, from Revelation chapter 6 through 16, John has been telling us of God's coming wrath against an unrighteous world, really zeroing in on seven years of what we know as the seven years of tribulation. These events are coming uh, to a world near you. In fact, you're on it right now. You're on the world. But the season will be different. But we're getting, I believe, very close. We've already been told of God's seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments of God. And now here in chapter 16, we come to the seven bold judgments of God. And toward the end of this chapter in verse 17, we actually will hear the words, it is done. At which time I believe Jesus then will return to the earth to set up his millennial kingdom upon the earth. And sadly, the horrible effects of the bold judgments and other world calamities have caused many really to question in our world today. If God is a God of love, then how could he allow such things to take place? Now, in this chapter today, in Revelation chapter 16, we will learn the heart of mankind. 
And, and we learned this back in Genesis chapters 6 and also in chapter 9 with the flood of Noah. We're there in Genesis chapter 6, and again it repeats a similar phrase in chapter 9. They talk about the unregenerated heart of man. And we'll see it again here in Revelation chapter 16. That in reality, since the fall of mankind, the general heart of man and, and women, men and women upon this earth, uh, they have a tendency to have a hard and impenitent heart. Instead of surrendering to Jesus and crying out to Jesus, in life-saving faith, we find in Revelation chapter 16, they actually cry out blasphemy against God because of the judgments that's coming against them. But thankfully, God is a God of love. And he has made a way of escape through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's those who place their trust in Jesus. Well, the Bible promises that they will not experience the wrath to come it does not mean we will not go through trials we will not go through difficulties i believe uh, the whole earth right now is through one of those difficult seasons that we're all going through but first thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10 it says this for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. But it's also through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that like in the book of Revelation, and other books of the Bible that God reveals his coming wrath, that those who would heed the warning could be saved. And so today we're going to work our way through the seven bold judgments of God. So each of your points will deal with one of the uh, seven bold judgments. So the first bold judgment, second bold judgment, and we'll just kind of work our way through that. And I'm going to open us up by reading the first two verses, and then we'll get into the teaching of God's word. Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2 said, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon men, who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. We're going to discover in several of these bold judgments that there are similarities with the judgments that came against Egypt at the time of Moses when he and Aaron went into Egypt and to declare to the Pharaoh there that thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. And here we find one of those similarities with the first bold judgment and the one of the plagues there in Egypt. God had promised Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And it was during the sixth plague 
If you remember and recall there with the plagues of Egypt that there were 10 plagues that God brought upon Egypt at that time because they had held Israel in captivity, that in the sixth plague, that boils came upon both man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt, according to Exodus 9, verses 8 through 12. And during the great tribulation, we find these foul and loathsome sores will come upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ and those who had received the mark of the beast and the image of the beast. And, and so there is a distinction made. And we find that too with the plagues that came against Egypt, that God would make distinction between Israel and the nation of Egypt. God at this time will make distinction between those who have followed the Antichrist and his false prophet and his image. The foul and loathsome sores, we find that in the Greek, when it refers to that foul, it, it can speak about a moral sense, meaning wicked or bad, a condition or character of someone's heart. But also it can refer to something that is not only harmful to those who have these sores on them, but it's actually evil. And so they have this foul, kikos is the Greek word, this harmful, evil sore that's come upon them, the loathsome speaks about something that causes pain or trouble or hardship upon the people. And the sore itself, I found this interesting. It speaks about a sore that is actually like an ulcer. It's active. You know, you can have a sore come upon your body and you can tell when they're infected, when they're just inflamed. Maybe the skin around it is red and, and you're kind of, Sometimes when you've got something going on like that, you might even go to bed thinking, hopefully it's better tomorrow. You know, you put the ointments on, you try to promote healing. But this really in the Greek is talking about something that is festering, it's active. It is a sore that is not healing. And whether these highly destructive and malignant sores, whether they come from science, manipulation, Science would never manipulate the cells of our bodies or do anything to harm us, right? We would never believe that. Or perhaps they could come from just the sin-tainted bodies of our flesh. When God allows this judgment to come upon the world, it will be horrifying. And is God unjust in sending this plague? Well, the answer is no, because he gave them warning of the consequence before receiving the mark of the beast. And this first bold judgment is directly tied. Those who had these foul and loathsome sores, I'm trying to find my place in the Bible here, came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So specifically targeting part of the people. And God gave them warning back in chapter 14 in verses 9 through 11. He warned those, if anyone worships the beast, his image or receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength and very vividly being poured out. The first bold judgment being poured out. They had rejected God for a worldly savior. Today, 
God continues to give us warning of his coming judgments. He does so through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel that declares, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Also through his prophetic word, like here in the book of Revelation, he gives us warning. God can also use natural and human-made disasters to help call people to repentance. And when I talk about natural disasters, and that would be some of the storms that perhaps come upon us in this world, the storms of a hurricane, God can use events like that. Human-made could be war. It could be just an individual who has so messed up their lives that they finally reach a point to where they have no other choice but to look up and to look to God. But God can use events like this to call a people to himself. It is through the repentance of sin and belief in Jesus Christ that the Bible promises that you will be saved from wrath to come. Jesus promised the church of Philippi in Revelation 3.10. He said, because you have kept my command to preserve, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Once again, we have a promise from the word. I will keep you from the hour of trial. And in his love, God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, that we might be saved. What a blessing that is, that God has made a way of escape. We come to the second bold judgment in verse 3. It tells us, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. There is such similarity between the second bold judgment and the second trumpet blast that has caused some to say that the second trumpet blast, the second bold judgment are one and the same events. But if you look closely, you'll discover that though there are similarities, there are also differences between the two. In the second trumpet judgment of Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, we discover that there is this one-third theme going on. One-third of the sea will be turned into blood, causing one-third of its living creatures to die and one-third of the ships to be destroyed. Here in the second bold judgment, all the sea is affected and every living creature dies in the sea itself. There is a phenomenon known as red tie. Science likes to call it harmful algal blooms, but it is where algae plants and the sea life with fresh water they grow out of control they produce this toxic harmful effect upon people fish shellfish marine animals birds they can be impacted horrifically through it it can also result in human illness as well it can even be fatal to humans so if there's you're ever you know you go to a beach resort and you see red water Don't go swimming. Just stay out of the water. It'd be a good day not to swim. Uh, It could be bad for you. Whether this bold judgment will result from our own mishandling of the earth or by the power of God, it will be devastating all those in the sea. All the sea creatures die at this time. Jesus warned in Luke 21, 25, saying, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars, 
on the earth distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. At the end of the 20th and here at the beginning of the 21st centuries, they've been filled with various signs in the heaven and on the earth and in the sea. We have seen wars. We have seen commotions throughout the earth. We've seen earthquakes, tsunamis, famines, pestilence, worldwide pandemic. Seems like we've had it all over the last several years. Jesus continues in Luke 21, 26, saying that such events will cause men's hearts to fail them because of fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And even in this last year and a half, we have seen the hearts of humanity being shook with fear, with the unknown, the unexpected that has been upon us with the uh, coronavirus that we've been dealing with. Truly, we are living in such a time, but at the great tribulation, it will be a time of worldwide distress and perplexity that those living on the earth, Jesus continues, Luke 21, 27, At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So when Jesus is talking about the last days, he also teaches us that the horrific events that are being prophesied to us here in the book of Revelation, they will actually come in advancement of the return of Jesus Christ, where every eye will see him coming in power and great glory. Thankfully, Jesus has made a way of escape for us. In John 16, 33, Jesus promises us this. I know we don't like this part of the promise, but I think we could testify that it's true. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Lord, I don't like that. It's just a reality. In this world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16:33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And amid life's tribulations, may we look to him, he who overcomes the world, our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we come to the third bold judgment in verses 4 through 6, I'm going to read verse 4 to start us off. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became as blood. Once again, we have a a quick, easy connection with the plagues in Egypt. The very first plague was turning the fresh waters there in Egypt into blood. And if you read about that in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 through 21, you discover that all of the fresh water was turned into blood. That even their pots and their pans, anything that they had stored water in, they had to dig through the earth to try to find fresh water at that time. Uh, The third trumpet, again, we find that the waters, one-third of the waters were turned bitter. Again, that theme of the third, the third trumpet blast. One-third of the water was affected by the third trumpet, but here, all the waters are affected and it's so devastating can you imagine as it was in egypt 
when the water turned to blood, it tells us in Exodus 7.21, the fish that were in the river died, and the river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river so that there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, that was a, a plague that came upon a, a particular nation in a particular region. But what happens when it happens to all the world, all the fresh water? You already had the seas, and now you have the fresh water. So water is of major importance. We know that about human adult bodies, about 60% of our bodies are made up with water, that self. Uh, I, I found this interesting that adult male needs about 3.2 quarts of water a day to survive. Women need about 2.3 quarts per day. My wife drinks about 50,000 quarts of water a day. I probably don't get enough. But we need water to survive, to keep taking in. What if that water supply is not just limited, it is cut off? One day, the water supply of the earth will become as blood, causing all humans and animals to have a great thirst. Jesus taught us about a thirst that is different than the physical thirst that we often have uh, throughout the day. Jesus talked about a thirst that only he can satisfy. In John 7, verses 37 through 39, he cried out on the last day of that great feast, Jesus stood saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this event took place before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. That's uh, verse 39. The Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Christ was not yet glorified. But Jesus Christ has been glorified now through his work on the cross. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit has been given. And Jesus cried out, Let him who thirsts, let him come to me, and I will give you drink. Tradition teaches that it was the great day of the feast, that daily the priest would go to the pool of Salome, and would draw water and pour that water out on the altar itself, flowing from the altar down the steps of the altar. And tradition teaches that this is what the priest would do. And while they did this, they would quote Isaiah 12:3, With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now some theorize that while the priest was pouring the water upon the altar as it flowed down the steps of the altar. And the priest was crying out, Isaiah 12, 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. To this day, Jesus continues to cry out to a thirsty people that they might draw water from his wells of salvation. Well, at this point, angels acknowledge the righteous judgments of God in verses 5 through 7. John accounts, I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and is to be, because you have judged these things, 
for they have shed the bloods of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So this first angel, uh, the angel of the water specifically, it tells us there, that's something to think about. The angels over the waters proclaims of God's righteous judgment. And the reason of the judgment, because they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. In Luke 11, 49 through 51, Jesus said, Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Jesus specifically talking about the generation that rejected him as the Messiah when he was crucified and there put on the cross. But also that thought of God will require, God will require here in the third bold judgment, the angel over the water gives us a reason why God judges the people in this way. In verse 6, they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. This is their just due. I think about our just due. We think of Galatians 6 verses 7 through 9. Where Paul writes to us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh of his flesh will reap corruption. And he who sows to the spirit of his spirit will reap everlasting life. And then this word given to us. Think about this. Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I think personally over the last year and a half with everything that's happened here in the United States and throughout the world that there have been a number of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that they have, they are growing weary. And here Paul encourages the church, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary in doing good for in due season. Our hope is not to be set upon this earth. Our hope is to be set upon Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And with the proclamation of another from the altar, proclaiming God's true and righteous judgments, we are reminded there in verse 7, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments together. It reminds us that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, Everything shall be established, as the Lord said in Matthew 18, 16. Every word to be established. And here we have two witnesses testifying of the third bold judgment. Know this, that it's only Jesus who can quench our thirsty souls. The fourth bold judgment in verse 8. It says, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Today, scientists, politicians, 
news media, many others, they warn of global warming. Or wait, I'm sorry, uh, they changed that. It's climate change now. And they changed it because they can't keep up with what's actually happening on the earth. Do you know in the 1970s, they were talking about another ice age coming? There's an ice age coming. Everything's going to freeze over. By the time we hit the 90s, the earth is warming. Everything's going to flood like crazy. They keep switching it up. So it's just like, we gotta, we got to get a, a term that it doesn't matter if it's hot or cold. Something's got to work. Oh, climate change. Oh, it's hot. Climate change. Oh, it's cold. Climate change. It's always, we're doing it. It's our fault. But global warming is coming. And during this fourth bold judgment, God said, I'm going to scorch the earth. When I was in South Sudan several years ago now, but I'll never forget this day. I was there with other guys doing a construction missions trip, and um, we were working pouring concrete on a gate of this compound for far-reaching ministries. And being a brick mason, it's like, John, do this concrete work for us. And we're mixing concrete by hand and everything. And we'd mixed up a batch of concrete in a wheelbarrow. And I went to pick up the wheelbarrow, and I saw stars. And I sat down the wheelbarrow, and I actually sat down and just went down because I knew I was about ready to go. And uh, that was the end. They wouldn't let me work for the rest of the day. They were very kind. They went into Nimli, and uh, they went into town. Don't get an idea that it's like going into town around here. When we went into Nimli, we saw the butcher. He had this big rock, flies all over it. That was his butcher rock where he was killing the fresh meat of the day and hanging it up. And, you know, you get your fresh kill of the day. It's why they boiled their meat for like 12 hours before you ate it, because it was <laughs> not very clean meat with all the, it was just sick. We wouldn't like it today. So they did go into town. Uh, they got some fresh juice for me and everything. But it was 126 degrees that day that I went a little faint. It was warm. I mean, you just, we got to Sudan, we sweat until we left. That's just how it was. Didn't matter if it was day or night. It cooled off at night, but you sweat through the night. It did not matter. The earth is going to heat up. It's going to intensify. It's going to scorch. And we've had some of that this past summer. There were, uh, throughout the world, there was reports of scorching heat. But there will be a time where it will not be in selected locations, but the earth. God speaking of the children of Judah in Isaiah verses, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it said, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, and they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away their backs, that they should be stricken again. Why should... You be stricken again, the Lord crying out to them. Why should you be stricken again? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises, putrefying sores, they have not been closed up or bound up or soothed with ointments. Just 
the world itself at times can go through their seasons where they've rejected the Lord, but there's a time where the whole world will reject God. Like the children of Judah who refused to turn to the living God who promised to save them, so too will be an unbelieving people in the last days with their hardened hearts against the Lord God in the day of wrath and God will scorch them with fire from the sun. And here's their response. In verse 9, the men were scorched with a great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Instead of repenting, God has power over the plagues. Instead of repenting, they blasphemed the Lord God. God had the capability of not only changing their hearts, but diminishing the impact of the plague itself. But instead, they blasphemed the Lord God. Today, many people find themselves in hard times, in situations, in circumstances that sometimes they have brought themselves into. Sometimes it's been the cause of others. Uh, we can find ourselves in a circumstance that has, you know, we try to do everything right and we still find that life comes against us. And yet instead of looking to the one who has power over these things, power to help and power to save, they actually despise the one who has given them life and now longs to give them salvation. Paul wrote to his Jewish brethren in Romans 2 verse 4 saying, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Sometimes people just hate God. They hate the one who can save. And may it be that we would let the goodness of God lead us to repentance. The fifth bold judgment, darkness and pain in verses 10 and 11. It says, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Once again, John keeps revealing to us the hardness of the hearts of those who refuse to repent when the plagues of God come upon them. This time it's darkness. And once again, we go to the 10th plague there in Egypt where darkness came upon the Egyptians for three days. And there in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23, as Moses stretched out, the rod toward heaven, darkness came upon the, the land there. I, I like it, and it's eerie in the sense, in verse 21, it says, a darkness which may be felt. That came upon the Egyptians, a darkness which may be felt. I've been, I've been in cave systems, maybe you have as well. If you ever go on a cave tour in a cave system, they love to turn the lights off on you, to let you know what true darkness looks like. We don't get, you know, it can be midnight around here. There's too much light. We illuminate too much. I love purposely to be on the island in Hawaii. Sometimes still there's too much light illumination to see the stars. To be in, uh, when I was in 
in Nimli in South Sudan, I purposely at the middle of the night went out to look up at the stars because there was truly lack of light there. I wanted to see, you know, the Hallmark movies where they show you the expanse of the stars that how romantic and they have this, I don't know where they get these pictures from because I've never seen a starscape like that in my life but they're just gorgeous. You can find them somewhere at the Hallmark movie places, but not on this earth. But a darkness that can be felt. This judgment will pour out such a darkness upon the kingdom at this time that the people will even gnaw on their tongues. It will be painful. Again, I believe it's a darkness that can be felt. And yet, again, they remain with this impenitent heart. They refuse to repent. They blaspheme God. Again, in Romans 2, verses 5 and 6, Paul tells his Jewish brethren, but in accordance to the hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to their deeds. When God judges, he judges, he's rendering to each one according to their works. And only those with soft and and penitent heart, hearts that are willing to repent to the Lord, they are the ones who will receive everlasting life. The sixfold judgment, the Euphrates River dries up in verse 12. It says, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl, that great Euphrates, its waters was dried up so that the king or the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. The Euphrates River, a river that was named there in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden and a river that exists to this day. Today, the Euphrates River running some 1,800 miles, uh, the longest river in Western Asia, and and pretty wide. As I was looking at this, I had to double-check my notes here because I was surprised at the width of the river in some places, some 300 feet to 1,200 feet wide, an average of 30 feet deep. About 1,200 miles of this river can be navigated by small boats, reminding us a little bit of the mighty Mississippi here in the United States, but it speaks about the Euphrates drying up to make way for the kings of the east. It's in preparation for the war of Armageddon as the kings of the east will make their way to Israel to fight one last battle against the Lord. And the call of these kings come in verses 13, 14, and 16 For a moment, I'm going to skip verse 15. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they were spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world and gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty and gather them together in a place that is called in Hebrew Armageddon. And so John foretells of these three frog-like demons. Again, remember in Egypt, God judged the Egyptians and one of the plagues, frogs came up out of the water. 
it is theorized that the Egyptians worshipped a frog-like god. Seems kind of strange, that bug-eyed god over there, that frog-looking creature. He's our god, we worship him. That, In fact, some theorize that all ten plagues was God coming against the gods of Egypt that they worshipped. But here we have what's described as frog-like demons going forth from the unholy trinity, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, to deceive the kings of the earth, to gather their people together, to battle in that great day of God Almighty, gathering them to the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12 tells us, the coming of the lawless one, talking about the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They rejected Jesus, so God allows this strong delusion to come upon the world. Now in the Bible, we read of two significant battles surrounding the last seven years of tribulation. The first is called the Battle of Gog and Magog, and this is at the beginning or closer to the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. But the Battle of Armageddon comes at the end of the tribulation period. Armageddon, we looked at this site when we went to Israel from uh, Mount Carmel. We looked over the valley of what they call Megiddo. It's a flat plain there in northern Israel. It's pretty amazing. It's where we might, in some sense, say where the west and the east converge together. Often kings of the earth battled in those plains. It, it was reported that Napoleon Bonaparte looked over that valley and said that there had been more blood shed in this valley than any place on the earth. And one day a battle will come and God will make way the pathway through the Euphrates River by drying it up, a roadway there for all to gather against the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. But verse 15, I left it out because here we have the Lord Jesus proclaiming, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now the nakedness simply there is talking about the garments of salvation. Blessed is he who watches and keeps the garments of salvation, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In this horrific portion of scripture, Jesus reminds the church that I'm coming soon, that I'm coming as a thief. As the word reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 4, when the world says there is peace and safety, the Lord says, I'm going to come as a thief in the night, and sudden destruction will come upon them. He says, blessed are those who watch. And again, Jesus said in Luke 21, verses 34 through 37, he says, take heed to yourself, lest your hearts are weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and the day comes upon you unexpectedly, for it will come 
as a snare to all those who dwell on the whole face of the earth. And the Lord said, then watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. And blessed are those who keep the garments of salvation. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. The bride adorns herself with jewels. God is the one. Jesus is the only one who can cover us in the garments of salvation. The seventh bold judgment. Verses 17 through 21. We'll start in verse 17. It says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and the loud voice came from the temple of heaven, from the throne, saying, It is done. It reminds us of John 19.30, where Jesus from the cross cried out, to Telestai, it is finished. There when Jesus cried that out, to Telestai, there from the cross, he was saying the works of salvation has been accomplished. He had paid the price of our sin. Now here from the temple, we hear a similar cry, it is done. The judgments of God have been made complete, as it said in Revelation 15, 1. The seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And with the pouring out of the seventh bowl judgment, God says, it's done. The earth has been judged. We'll read a little bit more about the judgment itself. At that point, with the pouring out of the seventh bowl judgment, John accounts to us in verses 18 through 21 to close out the chapter. There were noises and thunderings, lightnings. There was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts. The city and the nations fell. The great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Every island fled away. The mountains were not found Great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone weighing about a talent, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 24:20, 20, one day the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it. It will fall and not rise again. One day God will judge. And here we found a recap of that final judgment, the pouring out of the seventh bowl judgment, the city of Jerusalem divided into three parts, the city of all the nations falling, Babylon being remembered before God to receive the cup of the wrath of God, islands and mountains disappearing, Great hailstones weighing about a talent. If we're thinking uh, Roman talent, it's about 50 pounds. If we're talking about an Israeli talent, anywhere from 110 to 120 pounds. Now, we've, we've seen some hailstorms around here recently. One that came through our neighborhood that provided us a new roof, new siding, new windows. Totaled Lily's car. If you want to see the damage, it's still pinged up from the hail. 
got my truck fixed just to be in another one this summer to have more pings. But, you know, when this summer they brought in this huge piece of hail that was kind of a rectangle instead of a, a round, what we're familiar with, it didn't weigh 50 pounds. It didn't weigh 110 pounds or 120 pounds. I don't know where you'd hide from these things. It wouldn't matter if you were in your house. It will be bad. Number six, though, again, repeatedly keeps coming back, and yet they did not repent. They blasphemed God. God has power to save, but the people refuse to look to God that they might be saved. That's true to this day. There's only one way of escape of God's coming wrath. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. On three occasions, John tells of the impenitent heart of mankind, refusing to repent even with the great judgments of God coming against them. I pray that no one hearing my voice today, whether in this church or listening on the radio through social media or listening at a later time, I pray that your heart is not hardened, that you would repent, that your heart would be soft toward the Lord, that you would turn to Jesus in life-saving faith. It is Jesus who cried out, it is finished. It is Jesus who paid the price of our sin. And one day there will be a voice from the throne of God crying out, it is done. And the judgment of his judgment coming upon this earth will be completed. That day has not yet happened. Until that day, there is time to repent, time to turn to Jesus, time to cry out to him. And Father, we thank you that you are a God of love. Lord, judgment comes. And yet, even with the judgment, you have given warning and you have given opportunity for all those who would turn their heart toward you that they might be saved. And yet we've seen specifically three times in our text today and in other places in the Bible that speak about the hardness and the condition of the heart of humanity, that our heart is hard toward you. I thank you, Lord, for those of us who you have softened our hearts, for those of us, Lord, who have already cried out to you in life-saving faith. I pray for those, Lord, who perhaps have not yet turned to you that they might be saved. Perhaps today, Lord, today will be the day of salvation for them. It is my prayer, Lord, that all who hear my voice would know you as Savior. For it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.